A special message for listeners of this podcast. The following program contains absolutely no mention of the Mueller report. If you require coverage of that report, we encourage you to listen to literally any other media published today. Thank you for your attention to this important message. Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Thursday, April 18th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Buttigieg and Delaney propose national service programs. Terry McAuliffe is officially not running. An update on Gravel's fundraising as a protest candidate. Why the press is so enthusiastic about Buttigieg. And where all the candidates stand on climate change. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. In the past few days, both Pete Buttigieg and John Delaney have been talking up the idea of a national service program, a year that young adults 18 and older could take advantage of if they want. Now, yesterday I talked at length about how some candidates like to propose specific policy and others like to talk about values or narratives, and this is a perfect example of that difference. In this case, John Delaney released a multi-page plan laying out the details of his policy, which he calls the Delaney National Service and Climate Corps Program. That's a written policy with bullet points and stuff. There's no funding discussion, but still, it's a real policy. On the other hand, Buttigieg has talked in broad terms about the value of national service and how his military service benefited him, and how he sees space for non-military service for young people as well. And that is entirely consistent with the two approaches we discussed yesterday. Delaney is a policy guy, and Buttigieg is a themes and narratives guy. So let's dig into what Delaney suggests. Beyond military service, he would offer three new programs. Reading from New York Magazine here, quote, 1. A community service component similar to AmeriCorps, 2. Infrastructure apprenticeships, and 3. The Climate Corps, end quote. Delaney, in his policy document, specifies how these things would work. He says the community service program would be similar to AmeriCorps or the Peace Corps, effectively sending more people into existing community service programs across the country. The infrastructure apprenticeships are traditional apprenticeships. Here, Delaney suggests the government enter into partnerships with, quote, private companies and trade unions, end quote, to help young people get experience in maintenance, building, and renovation. Here he talks about the already successful apprenticeship models used by trade unions and suggests that his federal program would simply feed those existing programs. Delaney would also require all federal contractors to design and implement an apprenticeship program if they don't already have one. And yes, people who complete an infrastructure apprenticeship would receive a certification, which qualifies them for further work or a longer duration apprenticeship in the field. Delaney's Climate Corps would allow volunteers to work on clean energy projects, including, quote, solar installation, improving building efficiency, developing community gardens, and increasing awareness about sustainable practices, end quote. He also sees a role for the Climate Corps to educate and support families, especially in rural and low-income areas, in sustainability, energy efficiency, and transitioning to what he calls a green economy. In his policy document, Delaney wrote about why he thinks this is all so important. Quote, We have to restore a sense of common purpose and unity to our country. In addition to serving in the military, we need a new emphasis on national service. 
I'm worried that if we don't act, the next generation will grow up in a divided nation, a country where people are only exposed to people just like them, where they view those in the next county over as wrong about everything they believe. My plan gives young people new options and new ways to serve, in community service efforts, in infrastructure apprenticeships, and the Climate Corps. National service will benefit the individuals who participate immensely, and it will also provide a tremendous long-term benefit to our country, end quote. And that's not all. Delaney lists two key incentives for young people to join up. Quote, one, people who complete the program will receive a national service scholarship. Two, the program would be marketed to high school graduates as an opportunity to serve their country, travel, and get paid while learning a skill, end quote. So, Delaney's program is focused on young Americans doing work across America and preparing themselves for their careers. Now, back to Buttigieg. He spoke to Rachel Maddow about his own military service and why he feels the need for a national public service program. Quote, We really want to talk about the threat to social cohesion that helps characterize this presidency, but also just this era. One thing we could do that would change that would be to make it, if not legally obligatory, but certainly a social norm that anybody after they're 18 spends a year in national service. End quote. And reading from Politico here, quote, Buttigieg mentioned that for him and several former presidents, including John F. Kennedy and George H.W. Bush, serving in the military allowed them to meet and build trust with people of starkly different backgrounds, education, and income. Buttigieg served in the Navy from 2009 to 2017, including a deployment to Afghanistan. Buttigieg and Representative Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat of Hawaii, are the only current Democratic presidential candidates who are veterans. End quote. I might also point out they are also the only millennials in the race. Buttigieg also acknowledged that these kinds of programs might be hard to implement. He said, quote, It's one of those ideas that everybody kind of likes, but it was always important and never urgent. How would that ever kind of hold its own in a policy debate where we deal with kids in cages and we have to deal with climate change and there are all these pressing burning issues, end quote. And finally, from New York Magazine, quote, In 1992, Clinton used to say that talking about national service was his most reliable applause line to the surprise of many of his advisors. It could be a winner again, or at least a signature, end quote. On Wednesday night, former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe went on CNN and made it official. He is not running for president. From the Associated Press here, quote, McAuliffe said Wednesday night that instead of joining a crowded Democratic field vying to challenge President Donald Trump, he will concentrate his efforts on helping Democrats win this year in Virginia, with the possibility that he runs for governor or president in the future, end quote. He also, and I just include this to give you a sense of McAuliffe's colorful manner, said that he could, quote, beat Trump like a rented mule, end quote, but is instead putting his attention on other races in his home state of Virginia. He also said, quote, I love Joe Biden, end quote. Now, here's the thing about Terry McAuliffe. Politically, he looks a whole lot like Joe Biden. Their politics are similar, and they're both seen as mainstream, centrist, business-friendly Democrats. And honestly, if Biden is already polling above Bernie Sanders before Biden even officially announces, McAuliffe wouldn't have any chance in this field against him. So why even try? Especially given how relatively popular he is in Virginia, 
and how he can likely prop up candidates there in the short term. McAuliffe did not rule out a future run for governor in Virginia. He's keeping his options open there for pretty obvious reasons. You may recall the current governor of Virginia is Ralph Northam, who was recently embroiled in a scandal after photos of him wearing blackface next to a man in a KKK hood surfaced from an old yearbook. And then Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring admitted to wearing blackface too. And then Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax faced allegations of sexual assault from two women. Frankly, at this point, at least part of that group is likely not to run again in order to avoid having to deal with those issues in the next campaign cycle. Having McAuliffe there to step in, he was governor from 2014 through 2018, seems like as good an idea as any. And to close this out, one more tidbit from the AP story, just because I cannot resist. Quote, Trump gave $25,000 to McAuliffe's 2009 gubernatorial bid, and the two were once acquaintances. But McAuliffe has been unsparing in his criticism of the president in the last year or so, telling a national television audience he'd knock Trump to the floor if the president ever tried to intimidate him. End quote. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And now an update on how Mike Gravel is doing. He is the protest candidate who is running solely to get into the debates, raise a big ruckus, then drop out after the second debate, and donate any remaining campaign funds to whomever he deems the most progressive candidate in the field. More on that whole Gravel thing, if you're curious, in the Primary Ride Home show from Tuesday, April 9th. And trust me, it is quite a story. All right, according to the DNC rules, in order to qualify for the primary debates, which is literally his only goal, Gravel needs at least 65,000 unique donors, including at least 200 donors each in 20 different states. The donors can give as little as $1 each, and that minimum is what the campaign has asked for explicitly. Gravel does not need that money for anything specific, except maybe a plane ticket and a hotel room during the debates. Okay, so how's that fundraising going? Well, according to the Daily Caller, Gravel has already reached 20,000 donors, with an average donation of $3.32 and a median donation of $1. Well, that adds up. Incidentally, I tried looking Gravel up in the FEC fundraising database, and he's not there. Why? Well, he announced his candidacy after March 31st, so he didn't have any Q1 fundraising to report on April 15th because of that strategic timing. 
The next reporting deadline is at the end of Q2, so look for those numbers to be public by July 15th at the latest. It seems likely to me that Gravel will hit his fundraising target given his current pace and the large amount of time left for him to raise money. So, I guess, prepare yourself for Mike Gravel literally yelling at the other candidates on stage about American imperialism, because that is exactly what he has done in previous cycles. In Politico, Jack Schaefer wrote an opinion piece with the headline, Why the Media Dumped Beto for Mayor Pete. This is what I call meta-media coverage, where the media itself talks about how the media works. And sometimes it's actually useful to understand certain phenomena in politics. Because, for instance, this show is summarizing other media coverage, and one of the most obvious media trends I've seen just in the last few weeks has been the rise of Pete Buttigieg. Now, yes, there are other stories too, but that one is very conspicuous. So Schaefer compares Buttigieg to Beto O'Rourke, who until recently had a similar level of media attention. And the candidates themselves are somewhat similar. They're both male, white, well-educated, well-spoken, have interesting personal histories, all that stuff. But Buttigieg has something else. He's new. And as we all know from advertising, new is a powerful tool for drawing people in. I'll read from Schaefer's article here, quote, There are two problems with generating political buzz through news coverage, as O'Rourke can tell you. The first is that it's hard to sustain the note. Having told a candidate's story, reporters grow bored unless he presents evidence of his viability. In the pre-primary days of the campaign, they want to see big, noisy crowds at his rallies. They want to see the campaign treasury gushing with cash. They want to see a campaign organization take shape and rising poll numbers. They want to see a winner in the making because few reporters really want to write about losers. The second and more cautionary problem is that after all these years, we've failed to learn that media infatuations are rarely a good proxy for voter enthusiasm. National political reporters live in a bubble that extends from New York to Washington, which makes them better at taking a colleague's pulse than a standard-issue voter's." Schaefer's other key point is that Buttigieg is extremely willing to talk to the media. He does tons of interviews, and as the subhead for Schaefer's story says, quote, "...journalists love a candidate who loves them back," end quote. Meaning, if you can get FaceTime with somebody, you're gonna write about them. In a different story, this one by Amber Phillips in the Washington Post, we get an examination of a recent Monmouth University poll that actually puts Buttigieg in the next space behind Bernie Sanders in the polls. This is a big change for somebody who was barely on the map a month ago. Phillips writes, quote, Why does Buttigieg appear more popular right now than another young hotshot politician running for president? former Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Voters who shared their thoughts with The Fix said, Buttigieg has a calm personality, an ease on the biggest stage possible, and a direct, eloquent way of speaking that has earned him comparisons to a young Barack Obama. That's what Carolyn Engelhard, a professor at the University of Virginia, likes about him. At the most basic human level, I just want to believe in something good. I want to revel in the promise of the next generation. And I want a leader who believes in compassionate caring for those less fortunate, she wrote to The Fix. Obama campaigned on hope, and Trump campaigned on fear. 
I think Mayor Pete may campaign on care. End quote. In the New York Times this morning, Lisa Friedman and Maggie Astor went deep on the issue of climate change, interviewing every single major candidate in order to figure out where they are on this complex issue. Reading from their opening paragraphs, quote, Among the 18 declared candidates, there is no broad consensus on taxing polluters on their carbon emissions, a measure most experts say is needed to slow global warming. And when it comes to building new nuclear power plants or adding federal regulations, there is even less agreement. Those divisions were apparent in the candidates' responses to a new climate policy questionnaire from the New York Times. They unanimously supported remaining in the Paris Agreement and restoring Obama-era policies that Mr. Trump has abandoned. But scientists are clear that preventing catastrophic climate change will require going well beyond those policies. While the candidates agreed with that assessment, Few offer detailed strategies for getting it done. Some have supported the Green New Deal in principle, but that congressional resolution was more of a statement of ideals than a plan of action. End quote. Now, before we proceed, I do want to note that Washington Governor Jay Inslee is a single-issue candidate on climate change. His whole platform is tackling climate change. So if that is your number one issue, Inslee is someone to watch. But what about everybody else? Well, to be frank, This is the kind of analysis that lends itself to reading, because otherwise I would be reading out long lists of names who support one thing or another thing, and it would get kind of muddy. So for that reason, I do encourage you to check out the actual New York Times article. There's a link in the show notes to the main article where they summarize stuff, as well as the raw responses they got back from the candidates to their questionnaire. And I want to highlight one thing about those responses. Many candidates, when asked a yes or no question, actually responded by saying yes. And I find this deeply encouraging. Of course, we also saw answers in the sort of political language that couches what amounts to a yes in a way more complex and meandering discussion. But still, it is nice to get a yes once in a while. So to guide your reading, I do want to list the seven specific issues the Times felt were important enough to ask about. First up was whether the U.S. should remain in the Paris Agreement and commit to more ambitious emissions targets in 2020. Second was a carbon tax. Third was restoring Obama-era regulations on emissions. Fourth was adding new regulations beyond the Obama ones. Fifth was supporting a national renewable energy standard, meaning some kind of metric or number to hit for renewable energy generation. Sixth was investing more federal funding in clean energy research. And finally, seventh was building more nuclear power plants and funding existing plants to keep them going. So check the show notes for more details on this one. This is a great example of seeing how candidates responded or did not respond to clear, direct questions. That's it for another episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been and remain your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Now, it's a beautiful spring day here in Portland, and I am going to get out there, take a walk, and literally smell the roses. Well, there's no roses yet. It's just daffodils. I'm going to smell the daffodils, and I am super jazzed about that. If you have time today, please join me enjoying just a taste of springtime. All right, I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.